A Night in the Lonesome October, October 29th. Following lunch at Jill's place, to which Booba was also invited, having finally acknowledged Greymalk to be a cat of a different category, I took a walk back to the ruin of the good doctor's place. The meal had had an almost elegiac quality to it. Jack having asked outright whether she'd consider switching, Jill having admitted to a conflict in her sympathies now, but being determined to play the game through as she'd started. It felt odd to be dining with the enemy and to care that much about them, so I took a walk afterwards, more for something to do while being alone than for any pressing purpose. I took my time in going. The charred ruin still smelled strongly, and though I circled it many times, I could see no bones or other signs of dead humans within. I wandered over to the barn then, wondering whether the experiment man might have returned in it to hide. The door was open sufficiently for me to enter, and I did. While his disconcerting odor was present, it did not seem a recent thing as smells went. Still, I sought in each stall, even stirring through the hay. I checked in every corner, cubby, and bin. I even mounted the ladder to the loft and looked about there. Then I noticed a peculiar shape to the rear, that of a bat hanging from a beam. While all bats look pretty much alike to me, especially when you turn them upside down, it reminded me a lot of Needle. I approached and said loudly, Hey, Needle, what the hell are you doing here? It stirred slightly, but did not seem inclined to wake up. So I reached out and prodded it with my paw. Come on, Needle, I want to talk to you, I said. It unfurled its wings and stared at me. It yawned then. Snuff, what are you doing here? It said, checking out the aftermath of the fire. What about you? Same thing. But daylight caught me, and I decided to sleep here. Does the experiment man still come here? I don't know. He hasn't today, and I don't know whether the good doctor got away either. How is the game progressing? Now I've learned that the good doctor was never in it. I've found the point of a manifestation. The big hill with the fallen stones. Really? Now that's interesting. What else is new? Rastov and Owen are dead. Quick Lyman Cheater went back to the woods. Yes, I'd heard that. So it seems someone's killing openers. Rastov was a closer. I think Owen talked him into switching. No, he tried, but he didn't succeed. How do you know that? I used to get into Owen's place through Cheater's attic hole and listen to them talk. I was there the night before Rastov was killed. They were drinking and quoting everybody from Thomas Paine to Nietzsche at each other, but Rastov didn't switch. Interesting. You sound as if you're still in the game. There came a faint sound from below, just as he said, Oh, I am. Get down, flat. I threw myself onto my right side. A crossbow bolt passed very near and embedded itself into the wall right above me. I turned my head and saw Vicar Roberts below, near to the door, just lowering the weapon. His face held a nasty smile. If I ran and jumped, I'd be downstairs in a trice. I might also break a leg in the process, though, and then he could finish me easily. The alternative was to climb down the way I'd come up, backing down the ladder. For anatomical reasons, my descent is always slower than my ascent. If, it, if I did not do this, however, he could crank the weapon back, seat a bolt, and come up after me. In that case, the odds would be in his favor. At least he didn't have any armed assistance with him. I thought back quickly, recalling how long it usually took to get such a weapon cocked. There was no choice, and there was no time to wait if I were to have any chance at all. 
I rushed to the head of the ladder, turned, and began my descent. The vicar had already lowered the bow by then and commenced rearming it. I moved as fast as I was able, but as I searched with a hind leg after each wooden crosspiece, my back felt terribly exposed. Should I make it to the floor unpierced, I knew that I would still be at high risk. I hurried. I saw something black flutter by. I heard the final click. I heard the sounds of his fitting the quarrel into place. It was still a good distance down. I descended another step. I imagined him raising the weapon, taking a leisurely sighting at an easy target. I hoped that I was right about the fluttering, about Needle. Another step. I knew that I was right when I heard the vicar utter an oath. I descended one more step, then I decided I could risk no more. I pushed myself backward, letting myself fall the rest of the way, recalling things Greymalk had said about always landing on her feet, wishing I'd been born with that ability, trying to achieve it this one time anyway. I tried to torque my body in the proper direction along the long axis, relaxing my legs the while. The bolt passed well above me from the sound I heard of it striking wood. But the man was already cranking the weapon again as I hit the ground. I did land on my feet, but they went out from under me immediately. As I struggled to rise, I saw him finish cocking the thing, now ignoring the black form which darted before him. My left hind leg hurt. I pushed myself upright anyway and turned. He had the quarrel in one hand and was moving to fit it into place. I had to rush him to try knocking him over before he succeeded and got off another shot. I knew that it was going to be close. And then there was a shadow in the doorway at his back. Why, Vicar Roberts, whatever are you doing with that archaic weapon? Came the wonderfully controlled falsetto of the great detective in his Linda Edenderby disguise. The vicar hesitated, then turned. Madam, I was about to perform a community service by dispatching a vicious brute which even now is preparing to attack us. I began wagging my tail immediately and put on my idiot slobbering hound expression, tongue tongue hanging out and all. That hardly seems a vicious beast to me, the voice of the lady stated as the great detective moved in quickly, passing between the vicar and myself to effectively block a shot. That's just old snuff. Everybody knows snuff. Not a mean bone in his body. Good snuff. Good dog. The old hand-on-head business followed, patting. I responded as if it were the greatest invention since free lunch. Whatever made you think him antisocial? Madam, that was the creature that almost tore my ear off. I am certain you must be mistaken, sir. I cannot conceive of this animal as behaving aggressively, except possibly in self-defense. The vicar's face was quite red, and his shoulders looked very intense. For a moment I thought he might actually try angling in a shot at me anyhow. I really feel, the Linda voice went on, that if you have any complaints concerning the animal, you ought to take them up with his owner first before embarking on a drastic action that might well draw the attention of the Humane Society and not rest well with the parishioners. That man is a godless jackanapes, he began, but then his shoulders slumped. Perhaps, however, I acted hastily. As you say, the parishioners might view it askance not knowing the full measure of my complaints. Yes, very well. He lowered the weapon and released its tension. This will be settled, he said then, in another day or two. But for now, 
I accept your counsel and will do nothing rash. He put away the quarrel in a case slung over his shoulder, <clears throat> slinging the weapon also moments later. And so, madam, I thank you again for those cookies you brought by, which I found quite tasty. And I bid you a good day. I trust your daughter enjoyed them as well. Indeed she did. We both did. Thank you. He turned then and passed out through the door. The great detective immediately followed him to it and peered out, doubtless to make certain that he was indeed departing. Before I could take the same route to the same end, however, he caught hold of the door and slid it the rest of the way shut. Turning, he studied me. Stop, he said, the falsetto, the falsetto vanished. You are fortunate that I have a good pair of binoculars and have been inclined to use them of late. You are a very unusual creature, he continued. I first encountered you in Soho when assisting some friends at the yard in their investigation of a very unusual series of killings. Subsequently, I have found you to be present in numerous situations both bizarre and intriguing. Your presence seems to have become almost a common denominator to all of the recent peculiar occurrences in this area. It long ago passed the point where I could safely deem it a matter of coincidence. I sat down and scratched my left ear with my hind leg. That is not going to work with me, Snuff, he said. I know that you are not just a dumb dog, a subhuman intelligence. I've learned a great deal concerning the affairs of this month, this place, the people engaged in the enterprise, which I believe you refer to as the game. I paused in my scratching to study his face. I interviewed both the inebriated Russian and the equally distracted Welshman on their ways home from the pub one night in my guise as a jovial traveller in commercial sales. I have spoken with the gypsies, with your neighbours, with all of the principals involved in the matter of purported metaphysical conflict. Yes, I know it to be that. And I have observed many things which permitted me to deduce the outlines of a dark picture. I yawned in the rude way dogs sometimes do. He smiled. No good, Snuff, he said. You can dispense with the mannerisms. I am certain that you understand every word I am saying, and you must be curious as to the extent of my knowledge of the ceremony to be conducted here on All Hallows' Eve and my intentions concerning it. He paused, and we studied each other. He wasn't giving anything away, even at the olfactory level. So I think it is time for a sign of good faith, he finally said. Apart from the fact that I may just have rescued you from mortal distress, there are more things that I wish to say and some that I need to know, and I believe these would benefit you as well as myself. If you would be so kind as to acknowledge my words, I will proceed. I looked away. I had anticipated this as soon as he had begun addressing me in a rational fashion. I still had not decided what my response should be when he finally got around to asking for what had to be a token of faith. And that is what it came down to, faith in the man's professional integrity, though I was certain he would not approve of the goings-on here, and I had no idea where his significant loyalty lay, to law or to justice, nor whether he really understood what was at stake. Still, I did want to know what he had learned and what he had intended, and I knew there would be no way for him to later to prove his assumptions concerning myself even if I did give him the acknowledgement he wanted. So I looked back at him, 
met his eyes for several long seconds, then nodded once. Very good, he responded. To continue, a great number of crimes have apparently been committed by nearly everyone involved in this game, as you call it. Many of them would be virtually impossible to demonstrate in court. But I have neither a client who requires that I find a way of doing so, nor inclination to pursue such matters for my own amusement. Technically, I'm here only as a friend of the yard for purposes of investigating the likely murder of a police officer. And this matter will be dealt with in due time. Since my arrival in this place, however, I have been more and more impressed by the unusual goings-on until at length, largely because of Mr. Talbot's strange condition and that of the one known as the Count, I have become convinced that there is something truly unnatural involved. While I dislike such a conclusion, recent personal experiences have also led me to accept its validity. Such being the case, I am moved to interfere with your game two days hence. I shook my head slowly from side to side. Snuff, that rascal who just left is planning to murder his daughter on All Hallows' Eve. I nodded. You countenance this behavior? I shook my head from side to side, then turned and walked away from him to, to a place where dust lay heavy upon the floorboards. With my paw, I made four strokes in the dust. L. T. He followed me and watched. Then he said slowly, Lawrence Talbot? I nodded. He plans to prevent the killing? I nodded again. Snuff, I know more about him than he realizes, and I have experimented with many sorts of drugs myself over the years. I know that his intent is to rescue Lynette on the night of the ceremony, but I do not believe that he has sufficiently refined the dosage which he feels will carry him past the moon madness of his affliction. Whatever the case, Vicar Roberts is aware that there is one of his sort involved, and he has melted down a piece of the rectory silverware to cast a bullet for a pistol he will be carrying with him that night. He paused and studied me. I believed him, but I did not know what to do. The only part I conceived for myself in this entire affair would be to effect the girl's rescue, should Mr. Talbot fail. To do this, I require something from you. I must know where the ceremony is to take place. Do you know? I nodded. Will you show me? I nodded again, and I looked toward the door. For a second, his hand twitched toward my head. Then he lowered it and smiled. He moved to the door and slid it open. We stepped outside, where I looked in the direction of Dog's Nest and barked once. Then I began walking. He followed. <laughs>